I'll be reading from Romans chapter 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have, no, uh, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of blessings of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning that we have the opportunity to come together to worship you, uh, to fellowship together, and just enjoy this time together, Lord, as we uh, continue to learn more and more about your word. I pray for Pastor Andrew this morning as he presents this message to us, that he would uh, speak the words that you have empowered him to speak. And I pray that uh, we would all be receptive to hear the message that he is presenting to us, Lord. In your name, amen. I want to open by asking all of us this morning, I want you to think about and wrestle with for a few moments about what drives you. What, what gets you excited? Uh, what uh, lights your fire or kicks you in the pants, right? Or makes your heart race? What is it that strengthens you uh, to keep on pressing on, even in the face of suffering, hardship, and adversity? What are you passionate 
about? What are you passionate about? And I'm asking those questions because uh, this morning uh, kicks off a five-sermon series uh, where I'm going to be, with the Lord's help, seeking to lay out before us uh, a, a vision uh, for the next three years. As, as you know, our strategic leadership team has been meeting uh, for two or three months now, uh, and you guys have been praying for that, and I appreciate that. Uh, but these next five weeks, I'm going to try and share some highlights of what we've been talking about, praying about, what the Lord's put on our hearts, and the vision that we see and hope and pray for at our church here in Orangeville Baptist Church. Also, not just vision, but some highlights and steps that we need to take uh, to make that happen. And so already I've used that word vision a few times, and I want to clarify that word, uh, what I mean uh, when I say vision. Uh, I do not mean, when I say vision, this idea of looking inward and getting some kind of mystical feeling or, or shivered on my liver, or whatever that saying is. Uh, what I mean by vision is looking outward to God and looking in his word and finding his vision and his mission and his purpose, right? As we read through the scriptures and we read about his existence and the picture of God on his throne from last week in Revelation 4 and 5, and we see God's redemptive plan, and we see God's purpose for his church and, and the glory of heaven and the redeeming of his saints, and how that vision in scripture compels us to step out in acts of faith. That's what I mean by by vision. I mean that we serve, as, as you read through scripture, you see that we serve a big God Amen. and a creative God and a powerful God. And, and those thoughts uh, that he has are bigger and better than ours and that often as you read scripture, our thoughts are way too small and our God is way too small. And so as we make our way through scripture and see his greatness and his glory and his majesty, that that compels us to have a big vision for him. That's what's meant by vision. Vision is very valuable, very important. Vision fuels creativity. Uh, vision uh, stretches us as much as we might not like to be stretched. Vision does that. It stretches us. Uh, vision is something like building a bridge from the past and the present to the future. Uh, vision is seeing what can be and must be by God's grace and help and helping to make that happen. Uh, sadly, many, many live in the past. They're kind of stuck in the past. We find security there, right? And we find safety in the past. But vision is about looking out into the future and taking steps uh, to get there. Vision fosters risk-taking. There's a lot of visionary leaders in the scripture. Uh, one that in particular comes to my mind is David. Uh, David was a visionary leader, and we see that very early on before he's even king. Uh, he goes to visit his brothers to bring some food. His dad sent him out there, right? And while he's there giving him food, he's talking, and Goliath starts talking, and Goliath is boasting and, and defiling God and blaspheming God, and David gets what? He's pretty upset, right? And basically says, how can you guys be standing around listening to, to Goliath day after day after day after day, defy the living God? And David is full of zeal for the living God and goes out and takes down Goliath in the zeal of the Lord. And he leads the nation of Israel in that zeal. But that, that vision for the, and that zealousness for the greatness of God fostered risk-taking on David's behalf. 
Vision also inspires us. Vision uh, rightly puts a, a fire in your belly. It energizes you. Uh, remember Nehemiah, another visionary leader in the scriptures? Uh, there wasn't much happening in Jerusalem. In fact, Jerusalem was pretty beat up, pretty dilapidated. The walls were broken down and the gates were broken down. And so God puts a vision in Nehemiah's heart and mind to go back to Jerusalem and do what? Rebuild those walls, right? Rebuild those gates. And the people of Israel were energized. And as I've already said, vision sustains us in times of suffering and difficulty and discouragement. It's what compels you to keep on pressing on, even in the face of great adversity. Without vision, quite frankly, we become reactive instead of proactive. Many are living their lives in a reactive sense. Uh, they're focused on what's happening to them instead of what can happen through this as they proactively uh, move forward. And often we are stuck in maintenance, maintenance mode instead of mission mode. So all of that to say that this morning and, and the next five weeks are going to be seeking to give a clear and I hope challenging picture of the future for Orangeville Baptist Church. And to kick that series off, we're looking this morning at Romans chapter 15. Romans is the clearest explanation of the gospel found all throughout the scriptures. In Romans 1 through 11, uh, Paul has elaborated greatly on what the gospel is. In Romans 12 through 16, he lays out the implications of the gospel, how it should change and, and transform our lives. But what we often miss about the book of Romans is that Romans is not just an explanation of the gospel. Romans is also this incredible insight and picture into what made Paul tick. Right? It's this incredible picture of what made Paul do all that he does. You kind of get his heartbeat. You get his, his reason for living and what got him out of the bed in the morning. In fact, if you ever stop to think about, and if you haven't, do it now just for a second, how much my life and your life has been changed because of the Apostle Paul. I mean, that man single-handedly, through the power of the Spirit in Christ, changed the course of history. It's amazing to think about all that the Lord did through him. And so that, that question of uh, what was Paul like, what, what made him tick, what were his priorities, we see that here in Romans 15. And it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating passage. In, the, in, this, in this passage, he shares his goals, he shares his vision, he shares his ambition, and in doing so, he challenges me and he challenges us about what the future can hold. So point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, if you're not, shame on you. If you are, good, good for you. And the first point this morning is a ministry assignment from God that we all have a ministry assignment for God. And Paul shares about his ministry assignment uh, in, in these verses. <clears throat> he begins in verse 14 uh, by giving some high marks uh, for the church of Rome. He says, I, am, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Those are high marks, right? He's saying to the church of Rome that you're full of goodness. You have moral excellence. You're always doing good for others. You're, you're keenly interested in the welfare of others. They, they're practicing what I mentioned last week about disinterested benevolence, right? They're disinterested in self, looking out for the good of others. 
They are also, according to verse 14, they are filled with all knowledge, which, which is to say they, they understand the scriptures, they have conviction, they know what it says, and they know what they believe, and they know why they believe what they believe. And notice it says they are also filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So filled with goodness, filled with God's word, having strong convictions, they are competent to counsel, uh, to steal a title from the well-known counselor, J. Adams. They were very capable of providing instruction uh, so as to help others in their walk with the Lord. And that's an important ministry for all of God's people. Um, Romans 15, 14 is actually one of the big verses behind biblical counseling and why we as a church have this, this, this biblical counseling ministry that we offer free to everyone and everyone. Romans 15, 14 is, is sharing and revealing that counseling is not something that just a select few should do. It's also uh, not something to be embarrassed about or ashamed about, that we all need counseling. We all need counselors speaking God's truth into our lives. We are all prone to danger. None of us are immune from doctrinal defection. We are all, all of us, every day, uh, on the onslaught of temptation in the world in which we live. And because of that, we need others full of the goodness of Christ, filled with the knowledge of God's word, to speak his truth in love into our hearts and our lives. I need that. We all need that. And that's just the power of God's word. <clears throat> and it's not, not here that we just want to have a formal counseling ministry. Uh, we say all the time here that, that we want to be a church of biblical counseling, right? Not just with biblical counseling. Which is to say, we don't just want counseling happening in these corner offices, but we want it happening 24-7 as you're out there at Coffee and Connect or whatever it is that you're doing, uh, that we're speaking the truth and love to one another. Uh, that we're coming alongside one another, encouraging one another, and building each other up in Christ. So again, verse 14, those are high marks, high marks for the church. And honestly, as I, as I read that, honestly, I, I read verse 14, and I think Orangeville Baptist Church. I think we as a church are full of his goodness. And I think we as a church know our doctrine. And I think we're doing well with biblical counseling, formally and informally. And I praise God for that. I praise God for the work he's doing for his namesake in our church. Can we still grow in those areas? Yes and amen, right? I can grow in those areas. We can all grow in those areas. But it gives, gives great joy just to hear and to see a lot of verse 14 happening within our church body. And it's not just me saying it. Ken Floyd, who is our, our consultant for the last several months, who interviewed a number of you and was here speaking roughly a month ago, a little less than a month ago, uh, he shared the same thing, that he notices a lot of these things in our church body. And of course, all last month through October, we had our missions month, and we had different missionaries here. Several of those missionaries came up to me after the service saying, Hey, it's exciting to see and hear what's happening here at Orangeville Baptist Church. They could feel uh, the energy of God in our church. Praise God for that, huh? Amen, with, with, what he is, with what he is doing. But again, we can do more. Like, like Paul says in verse 15, he says, but, but, right, he's just giving them high marks, but, right, it's kind of like, 
buttering up and then, okay, when's the hammer going to drop, right? But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. So the, the church in Rome is, 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 is excelling by God's grace, but uh, Paul says you have some work to do. You need some bold reminders. It's very, very easy to forget first things. It's very easy to get distracted from what's important. We all need to be pushed from time to time. That's what Paul's saying. You're excelling in these areas, but you need to be pushed. You need to be encouraged. And I just share all that to say, think of this sermon series as me gently, maybe sometimes not so gently, pushing and just being bold and giving some reminders about what the Lord can do for his praise and his glory through us as we seek to be on mission for him. And again, I need those bold reminders also. It is so easy uh, to, to drift, to lose focus. We need our minds renewed. Satan works tirelessly to discourage and defeat and distract. And so it's good to have those friends, have that word, to have brothers and sisters in Christ who will be bold and push us and encourage us to excel still more. Now look at verse 16. In verse 16, Paul says, By the grace of God given to him, he is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. It's a very interesting phrase, the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that, so the purpose, the reason, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Fascinating verse. Uh, Paul referring to himself as a priest, and as a priest, he's offering up what priests do, sacrifices. And what are those sacrifices? Gentiles, right? It's not, not dead animals. It's people, Gentiles, who are coming to faith in Christ. So the idea is, as a priest... Paul's saying his duty was to proclaim the gospel of God. He's, he's preaching the gospel of salvation uh, from sin by faith in Christ. And everywhere he goes, he's reasoning from the scriptures. He's pleading with the lost. He's pointing a sinners to forgiveness in Christ. And as he does so, by God's grace and God's spirit, Gentiles hear the word of God, come to faith, and place their trust in Jesus Christ. In keeping with that theme of that priestly duty, Paul adds in verse 16 uh, that the Gentiles, that offering may be, one, acceptable, which is to say pleasing to God, and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's the word picture that's there. Uh, that's what Paul was doing. That's, how, that's his ministry assignment for this point. His ministry assignment from God is that priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles that they might be an acceptable and sanctified offering to the Lord. Kind of an unusual image, but the point I want to press home here and be bold and our reminder with a bit here this morning is this, that each of us here who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a priest before God. Did you know that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 uh, very clearly teach that we are priests in the kingdom of God. We've been given priestly duties from God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 even says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And you, you hear how Romans 12, 1 and 2 parallels uh, Romans 15, verse 16, an emphasis on being acceptable and sanctified. 
So Orangeville Baptist Church, this is where we need to be encouraged and pushed as our ministry assignment from God is to be a living sacrifice for him, to offer up pleasing sacrifices to Christ who has redeemed us by his blood. It's hard to keep that in focus. It's hard to keep that in your mind as you go about and, and live your day. But if you can just think about it this way, that every moment of every day, because we're supposed to be these living sacrifices, these priests offering up these sacrifices of ourselves uh, to God, that every moment of every day is packed with ministry potential. Every moment of every day, no matter what you're doing, is packed with the potential of magnifying God and being pleasing and acceptable to him, of bringing glory and honor to him. In other words, there are no wasted moments in God's economy. So let me say it this way. When, when you bake a pie for someone to encourage them, I would never do that. You wouldn't want to eat that. But if you are good at baking and you bake a pie for someone to encourage them, that is an offering to the Lord. When you faithfully teach a children's class or an adult Sunday school class, that's an offering to the Lord as his priest, as, as a living sacrifice. When you're in the nursery and you patiently love and hold the babies, that's an offering to the Lord. When you host Coffee and Connect or as you lead worship songs or as we sing worship songs, that's an offering to the Lord. As you run the soundboard or maybe you're on the security team or you deliver the food boxes or you're helping out in the baby pantry or, or word of life, you're, you're listening to the verses as, as the kids recite them to you or you're spending an all-nighter with the teens in the reverb, that especially is an offering to the Lord. As you're cleaning the church building or doing lawn care or, or answering the phone or, or greeting people as they enter or you're lending a listening ear or a shoulder to lean on or a warm hug to encourage for someone who's struggling, that's all an offering to the Lord. Those aren't wasted moments. Speaking the truth in love to a brother or sister in Christ who's erring or sharing the gospel with family and friends and neighbors or, or teaching your children and grandchildren the scriptures or praying for your children or grandchildren, disciplining your children or grandchildren, that's all an offering to the Lord. Those are ministry assignments from God. If you're at work and you're working hard and you're working with integrity and honesty, that's an offering to the Lord. If you're reading God's word and studying it and memorizing it and meditating upon it, that's an offering to the Lord. As I preach and you listen, that's an offering to the Lord. Everything is a priestly duty. Are you seeing that? Every moment of every day is this exciting opportunity as priests of God to offer that moment up that word up, that action up, that thought up as a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice to God. I wonder, do you have that perspective as you go about your day? And again, man, it's easy, isn't it, to go through your day and not have that perspective, to lose that perspective. But as we focus on that thought and, and have that reminder of all of life being done to please God, we see how life is so much bigger than us and we can be a part of this great movement of God. And I hope all of us here this morning would say with that hymn that we sing sometimes, take my life and what? Let it be holy, consecrated Lord 
to thee. Take my life, take my hands, take my feet, take my voice, take my lips, take my eyes, my thoughts, take my money, take my will, take my emotions, take all of me and make me ever only what? All for thee. Holy and solely consecrated to God. That is your ministry assignment, to be this pleasing sacrifice to him. That is how, as a church, uh, we can make a difference that can't be ignored. That's how, as a church, we can do the most good for the most people, as we seek to be on assignment for God in wherever we are, and we get rid of this sacred versus secular divide. All of life is sacred when you're a priest before God, living for him and seeking to please him. The second point this morning is that all the praise goes to Jesus. As we uh, seek to live on mission for him and be pleasing to him with our thought and our words and our actions, as as we seek to, every moment of every day, live for him, uh, we recognize that we do this for the praise and glory of him. As you think about Paul, you know, Paul, Paul loved to boast. And Paul loved to brag. Paul was a very proud man. He was very, very proud of his Lord and Savior. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31, he says, Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why? So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And in these verses, verses 17 through 19, roughly, Paul is boasting in Jesus. He says in verse 17, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Verse 18, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. That's his sacrifice, right? By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He's boasting, right? But not in himself. He's exuberantly glorying in Jesus Christ and how through him the Lord has used him to make a difference. As he sought to be on assignment from God, Jesus has worked mightily through him. And Paul glories in this. Uh, we, we know that Paul left to his own desires. He'd still be out there blaspheming Christ. He'd still be out there persecuting the church on his murderous rampage. But God in his grace crashes into Paul's life and uh, in his sovereign grace turns Paul around and unleashes him to serve him. And Paul glories in this. He takes great joy in this. And he gives all the praise to Jesus. And he says, the fruit of all of my work is because of Christ. All that Paul has done, he's done for the sake of Christ and in the strength of Christ. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Uh, These are verses, if you ever ask me, what are some verses that drive me or life verses for me? It's Colossians 1, 28 and 29. In fact, probably I'm going to preach from these verses next week. But Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, Him we proclaim, talking about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And verse 29, he says, For this I labor, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. That's the idea that's here in our text, right? Paul labors, he works hard, he's, he's on ministry assignment from God, and he does it 
with the energy, the power, the might of Christ in him. The scriptures say in John 15 that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Therefore, we are nothing. We're nothing. We're just servants or stewards in God's economy. I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. All the praise goes to him. Verse 18 again, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So Paul's saying that anything that's praiseworthy in his life or in his ministry or in our church goes to the glory of Christ. It's not me, it's not you, it's Christ through me. And so that big list of illustrations I shared earlier about, you know, if you bake a pie for someone, that that's, that's your priestly duty, that that's for God. That has to be done for him, right? It's done with his strength and for his glory. It's not me doing that, it's not you doing that, it's Christ in you and through you for his praise and for his glory. And so driven for the praise and glory of Jesus was Paul that he preached the gospel, he says in verse 19, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. And in doing so, he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now that's impressive. If you were to maybe even look at the map in in the back of your Bible and, and try and find Illyricum and Jerusalem, you would see that a straight line from Jerusalem to Lyricum is 1,400 miles. That's a big distance, 1,400 miles. But it's not just as if Paul woke up one day and started walking from Jerusalem to Lyricum. He ministered everywhere in between also, didn't he? When you consider the slowness of travel, the dangers involved, you can really begin to appreciate the tremendous amount of energy and achievement of Paul's ministry. What drove him? What compelled him to risk those 1,400 miles and everywhere in between? The glory of Christ. That's what drove him. Look at what one man set on fire for the glory and supremacy of Christ can do. One man set on fire by the grace of God given to him travels 1,400 miles and everywhere in between to proclaim the name of Christ. That's what God does. That's what Jesus does in our lives. And it wasn't just Paul doing it. It was the spirit within him. Verse 19, of course, says he did this by word and deed and by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the spirit of God. So it was the Spirit working mightily within him and energized him to travel all over uh, where he could to make much of Jesus. It's as if every step he took and, and every word he spoke and every action he took was in the power of the Spirit and for the praise of Jesus Christ. And imagine how Orangeville and Berry County and Allegan County and our workplaces and our homes would change if every step, step we took and thought we had and word we took was done in the power of the Spirit and for the praise of Jesus Christ. Imagine what would happen in this church if we served in the power of the Spirit and every time we opened our mouths, it was in the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's exciting to think about. 
It reminds me of uh, Spurgeon, who uh, it's recorded of him that as he would step up to the pulpit every Sunday to preach, uh, and it was roughly half a dozen or so steps to make it up to the pulpit, with every step he took, he would say, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the idea that's here, that all of our laboring, all of our striving, all of our planning, all of our dreaming, all of our thoughts for, as we kick this off for 2022 through 2024, it's, and, and beyond, it's vain, it's worthless, it's more than worthless if it's not fired by the supremacy of Christ and if it's not done in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit can accomplish in 10 seconds more than we could accomplish in 10,000 lifetimes. Do we believe that? Are we living in the power of the Spirit? Are we fired by the glory of Christ? To say it this way, Word of Life and Trunk Retreat, the marriage retreat we have coming up, the the Living Nativity coming up in, in, in a month, our counseling ministry, all of our evangelizing, our preaching, our serving, all of it is, is nothing if it's not empowered by the Spirit into the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's not touched by the Spirit and that divine wind blowing that gives life to dead bones. It's exciting, isn't it? That the Lord would work this way through Paul and can work that way through us as we humble ourselves before his throne and and want to be used by him however he would want to use us and just being reminded that we exist not for us. Orangeville Baptist Church does not exist for me. It doesn't exist for you. It exists for him and his praise and his glory. A brush does not take credit for a masterpiece when it's used to paint, right? The violin does not take credit for beautiful music when the musician makes it. The basketball or soccer ball or football or whatever doesn't take credit uh, for the, the incredible goal. And so thus, no Christian takes credit for anything praiseworthy in his life. It's all from Christ and through Christ and for Christ. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the boast. Jesus is the exaltation of our hearts, of our lives, of our church. Charles Wesley would sing, Thou, O Christ, are all I want more than all in thee I find. That's the boast of Paul. That's the boast of God's people. Or think of Raymond Lowell. He was a very brave missionary to the Muslims. He says this, I have one passion. It is Christ. It is Christ. At the end of your life, nothing will matter but this. Did you do it in the power of the Spirit and for the praise of Jesus Christ? At the end of three years with this ministry action plan, nothing, none of it will matter if it was not done in the power of the Spirit and for the praise of Jesus Christ. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. <clears throat> Which leads to the third point. Vision and dreams and ambitions. Look at verse 20. Paul says, Thus I make it my ambition. That, that dirty word, right? Ambition. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So verses 12 through 19, Paul's laid out his mission or his ministry assignment. Now in verse 20, he starts talking about his vision. Or you could say uh, his ambition, as it says in verse 20. 
And again, I, I kind of jokingly said that, that dirty word, right? Ambition kind of gets a bad rap in Christian circles. And for sure, we can all be very prone to sinful ambition. But Paul shows us in verse 20, it is, it is good and right to have a godly ambition. He uses the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, where he says, therefore, whether we live or die, we make it our what? Ambition to please Christ. And here in our text, Paul is saying his ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ is not named. And he says in doing so, he's fulfilling scripture. In verse 21, he quotes Isaiah 52, verse 15. This is why Paul wrote the letter of Romans. We have to miss this. Paul wants to go to Spain. And he's never been to the church in Rome before. He doesn't know a lot of them. And so he writes the, the, the letter that he writes so they can know his doctrine and know his persons that when he gets there, Lord willing, they will be like a, a catalyst or a sending base to shoot him off into Spain. That's why he writes this letter. That's his vision. That's his ambition, right? He wants to get to Spain because no one has preached Christ there yet. They don't know him. And his ambition, his drive, what gets him up in the morning is, I want to go to Spain and preach Christ. That's his vision. That's his God-given ambition that he aspires to. He's doing everything he can. He's leaving everything on the field. His cherished desire is to be this trailblazing pioneer evangelist who's cutting open new ground with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, that's his ambition. That's his vision for unreached peoples. And we, we talked about that last week. And God gives each one of us different gifts and ministry assignments on service to God. <clears throat> there are those who plant and those who water, those who lay the foundation and those who build on it, but we're all working together with God. But the burning question, I hope, on your heart and your soul right now this morning from this text is, what is your ambition? Do you have any ambition for Christ? What is your ambition for Christ? What's the vision that God has laid on your heart? What's your plan to serve him? If you could do any kind of ministry for Jesus, what, what would it be? What, what's your dream ministry? And then how can we as a church work together to help you do that? Come at it this way. We, we make plans all the time. I, and I apologize in advance for saying this, but I saw next week that they say there's a big snowstorm coming. Right? Did you guys see that? Did you hear that? And so we make plans, right? Uh, we make plans. Winter's coming. If you have a wood stove, you've been cutting wood, getting that ready for a while now, I hope, right? Like, we make plans. If we're going to go on a trip, we make plans. Maybe you're a, a senior in high school or a junior in high school, and you're making plans for the future, for college, right? We make plans for everything. We plan our budgets, we plan our jobs, but what are your plans? What are your dreams? What's your vision? What's your ambition for God, right? Is that on your radar? What do you hope for God to do through you should he give you X amount of years of life? 
What consumes your thoughts and energies day by day? Many are consumed with family and work and and money and comfort and pleasure. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be driven by this greater ambition to make Jesus known, to help others to know him, to glorify him and grow in him. What's your ambition? What, what, What would you put in verse 20 where Paul says, I make it my ambition, fill in the blank, right? What is it? What, what, what is your ambition? God can do above and beyond anything we ask or think or dream or imagine. Let's not limit him without planning, without visions, without ambitions. What's he laying on your hearts? The vision that the strategic leadership team and myself are proposing to our church is this that as a church, as Orangeville Baptist Church, that we exist for a singular purpose. Why does Orangeville Baptist Church exist? We exist for the singular purpose of multiplying disciples. That's the vision we want moving forward in this church, that we exist for the singular purpose of multiplying disciples until all of Barrie and Allegan County are saturated with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do this to the praise and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the vision that we're proposing moving forward. I'm going to flesh that out more throughout the next weeks. But again, our singular devotion as a church is to multiply disciples until all the Barry and Allegan County are saturated with the gospel to the praise and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me break that down a little bit. <clears throat> you can see from that vision, it identifies who we are. We are Orangeville Baptist Church, and by God's grace, uh, God started this. Thank you. <clears throat> God started this church back in 1858. Uh, since then, God has done much to glorify his name there, and we hope that he will continue to do much as we set our sights and our goals and our hearts upon him. What is it that we do? What's our priority? Multiply disciples. That's our priority. As you read the New Testament, that's the mission Christ has given us. We talk a lot about discipleship, right? But we often miss that discipleship means multiplication, We're going to emphasize that and and flesh out more what that means in the next two or three weeks. But this is our priority. This is our focus. This is our ambition. This is our deep, burning yes. This is what compels us to serve and to be involved in any way, shape, and form that we can. We desire to multiply disciples for Jesus Christ. Where do we do this? We do this in our own backyard. We want to saturate Barry and Allegan County. We want to soak, drench, douse Barry and Allegan County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want every nook and cranny of Barry and Allegan County filled with the gospel, talking about the gospel, thinking about the gospel. How's that going to happen? Tie it back to the very first point, right? Your ministry assignment. What's your ministry assignment? Are you living on mission for Him wherever you are? If you are, that's how we saturate every nook and cranny with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why do we do this? We do this to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. We do not exist for us. We do not exist for our comfort. We do not exist for our happiness. Orangeville Baptist Church is not a country club church. We don't exist for our security and comfort and satisfaction. We exist for the happiness of Jesus. Our single burning desire is the fame of Jesus' name. And we want to do whatever it takes, however he will empower us and strengthen us as we move forward in the Spirit and boasting in Jesus Christ to raise that flag that if you're looking for help and you need hope and you're struggling and you're lost and you're confused and and there's heartaches abound, then Orangeville Baptist Church is full of Christ. We want to help you and encourage you to look to him and find your salvation in him.
In short, what we are saying, what we are asking, what we are pleading with God is that he would be pleased to drench Orangeville Baptist Church with the gospel, to drench us with the gospel. We would live and move in the gospel in such a way that then the gospel would surge forth from Orangeville Baptist Church like a tidal wave. And again, saturate or drench and douse the surrounding communities with the gospel. That's the vision that God has laid on our hearts. How are we going to accomplish it? Well, that's the next four weeks. That's how we're, we're going to accomplish it. We'll talk about that in the next four weeks. The next four sermons next week will be a great, commission, a great commitment to the Great Commission. We'll talk about discipleship. In a couple weeks, we'll talk about catching God's vision for multiplication. Then we'll talk about servant leadership, and we'll, we'll wrap it all up in a few weeks with the idea of putting things in order or shoring up our foundation. That might be the hardest sermon for us to hear as we identify some weaknesses in our church where we have much room to be growing. Um, as we look at the remainder of, of Romans 15 and just think about this vision that's before us, there are a few helpful things there I'll mention just quickly as we seek to fulfill this, this vision that we believe the Lord is laying on our hearts. I'll just quickly say them. One, we need to network. Two, we need to take risks. And three, we need to pray much. How are we going to accomplish this vision? Number one, we need to network. Uh, verses 22 and 24 Paul writes, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Notice what he says, to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. That word helped is a technical term uh, to mean support, uh, means to send on one's way with whatever way they can. Food, money, means for travel, that, 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 that kind of idea. So Paul's saying he wants to go to Rome, he wants to enjoy their fellowship, but that's, that's not the end goal. He wants to get to Spain. He wants to be helped by them. And basically he's saying, I can't do that on my own. I can't get there on my own. I need your help. If I'm going to get to Spain, fulfill this ambition the Lord's put in my heart, I need your help. And so we need networking. If, if we as a church... We're going to multiply disciples until all of Barry and Elgin County are saturated with the gospel, then we need to collaborate with and network with uh, local sister churches. We need to do much with them. We also need to take risks. Don't we love taking risks? Risk-taking? That means everyone just loves that, right? Risk-taking, verses 25 and 29. In these verses, it's helpful to remember that Paul's in Corinth, which is a lot closer to Spain, uh, but he wants to go back to Jerusalem first, so he's kind of going backwards, right? Because he has this duty to fulfill from the Lord to deliver a contribution, contribution to the saints. Uh, someone else did math. I'm bad at math. And someone calculated the amount of his traveling. He's, he's in Corinth. Assuming he travels by sea, the first leg of his journey was to get back to Jerusalem, which would have been roughly 800 miles. The second leg of his journey from Jerusalem to Rome would be an additional 1,500 miles. And the third part of his journey that he wants to do from Rome to Spain is another 700 miles, making a total of 3,000 miles. That's what he wants to do. And Paul's no young guy here. Paul's been at it for a while. He's a challenge to us. If anyone deserves retirement, it's him. He had uh, 
risked and endured threats on his life. He'd been beaten many times, been in prison. He's been stoned. He's endured three shipwrecks, many other dangers and hardships for the gospel. We almost want to say to him, right, like, Paul, slow down, slow down, right? Take a little vacation time. You're not getting any younger. But here Paul is, is telling the Roman Christians, he wants to, visit, he wants to come visit them, but I'm not going to stay long because there's people in Spain who never heard of Christ, and that's my ambition to get there, to preach the gospel to them, to lay a foundation that hasn't been laid. That kept driving him. As Paul looks to the final years of his life, he's still dreaming big for God, and he's taking risks for God. He's a big challenge to us. How are we going to complete this vision? We need to pray much. Verses 30 through 33 talks about prayer. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. If we're gonna move forward and fulfill that vision, uh, then we need to pray much. Be much in prayer for one another, much in prayer for our church, much in prayer that God would be pleased to do a mighty thing for his namesake. And I would just ask that you would commit to praying for our church during this very strategic time as we uh, seek to consider and move forward with this, this vision. So what do you think? What's your ambition for Christ? What's he gonna do for his namesake through us? Are we up to the mission, the vision that he's putting before us to multiply disciples? And next week we'll, we'll think more about that, but for sure, let's be praying before his throne. We wouldn't dare do it in our own strength. We wanna go forth in the power of the Spirit in the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if I can transition that, today is the Lord's Supper. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I think I can tie that in to this idea of being on mission or having a vision. So we'll talk about another visionary leader, right? Jesus Christ, the ultimate leader, uh, the leader exemplar. As you think about uh, Jesus' life, he had laser-focused mission. Remember as a young boy, uh, they go to Jerusalem, and then parents leave, but he doesn't. They panic. Oh my word, where's Jesus, right? And they go looking for him and they find him and remember what he says to them? Didn't you know I need to be about my father's business? He's only 12 years old. And he already has that laser focus. I need to be about my father's business. In Luke 19 verse 10, he, he gives a mission statement or vision statement you could say. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what drove him. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, he says something similar. I, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So all through the Gospels, we see Jesus on a mission. And he's laser-focused to bring glory to the Father by seeking and saving the lost. And even today, Jesus is on that mission to seek and to save the lost for the glory of the Father, and he's doing that through us as his local body of believers. So with communion, or the Lord's Supper, we are remembering and celebrating the fact that Jesus finished that mission. I don't have the, the cup up here, but the cup and the bread, they, 
they illustrate, they're a picture of the gospel that Jesus finished the mission when he cried out on the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. He's saying that his sacrifice was once for all. His sacrifice was for sinners. And his sacrifice was for our forgiveness and for our salvation. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the fact uh, that Jesus uh, won the victory. <clears throat> Thank you, Mike. <clears throat> So as we come to communion and, and the Lord's Supper, as, as we consider that wafer and that blood, we're, we're, we're praising God uh, for his son who came on a mission for us, who conquered sin and Satan for us. I just want to ask you just some things to ponder as, as, we, as we come to this. We don't want to come to this uh, carelessly. We don't want to come to this thoughtlessly. The Lord's Supper is just a great gift from the Lord, a time to, to slow down and remember and focus I would just ask you to encourage and, and think to yourself, do you recognize your sin? In fact, even looking at verse 18 in our text, uh, Paul says that he uh, will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Sin is disobedience, isn't it? Sin is being unholy. Sin is living my life and being on my own mission and not living for the mission of Christ. So if you recognize your sin, and maybe the Lord's working on your heart this morning that you've been off mission, you've been trying to build your own kingdom, you've had your own ambitions, and Christ has nothing to do with them, and this is a call to repent. Maybe you've never, ever recognized your sin ever, and you've been living your whole life for self and for sin and for pleasure or for money or for comfort or whatever. This is still a call to you to repent. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this doesn't save you, right? This points to the one who does. And it's calling to you, turn from your sin, turn from your selfish ambitions, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I promise you, if you'll turn from your sin and follow Jesus, that living on mission for him is way better than whatever you're thinking for yourself. His mission is way, way better. As a Christian, consider are you drifting are you ambitious for the glory of Christ? It's so easy to slide into self-centeredness. Uh, ask God to set your heart to blaze for him. Give thanks that Jesus never lost focus. Those are some things that I just encourage you as we bow our hearts, heads for a few minutes. Just think about those things, pray about those things, consider those things. Are you on mission for the Lord? Is your heart on fire for him? Thank Jesus that he never lost focus that he finished that mission. Think about those things, and in just a moment or two, I will lead us in partaking in the Lord's Supper. <clears throat>
Almighty Father, we just come before your throne of grace, uh, praising you for the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that he never took a, a stray step. He never once uh, faltered for the mission. He never once doubted your, your purpose, your goodness in the mission. He was laser-focused. Uh, he came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, Lord, I think even of, uh, I think it's John 4, where he says he had to go through Samaria. Lord, we know that geographically he did not have to go through Samaria. But Lord, he was on a mission. He was focused uh, to win the woman at the well to you. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for how you were focused on a mission to bring us to you, uh, to show us our sin and to show us our Savior. And Lord, we confess that we are great sinners. That we so often, our thoughts are selfish, our, 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 our ambitions are selfish, our words are selfish. So often we're, it's all about our plans and we're not even thinking about you. And if we do, it's kind of like an afterthought, like, oh yeah, Lord, please, please help me do that. Lord, forgive us of that. Uh, help us to be laser focused for your mission. Help us to study your scriptures and see your vision, your plan, your ambitions, your purpose. And by your spirit, for your glory, help us individually and as a church to align ourselves with your vision. Lord, we're not saying, here's our vision, bless it. We're saying, Lord, what's your vision? Give us strength to be a part of it. We don't want to be left on the side, Father. We want to be used by you in whatever way that we can be. So please, please do that in our hearts. And Lord, if there's anyone even right now who is still lost in their sins, Lord, I just pray that you'd help them to see how empty and vain our own personal kingdom building is. And help us to see the glory of the kingdom of God. Give to them and give to us a God-entranced vision of all things. Give us a holy ambition for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.